0: body acceptance, abortion, sex, racial justice, feminism, birth, parenthood, stigma, bodily autonomy, and more. This is Reproductive Left by Mabel Watzer Center independent, feminist, nonprofit, comprehensive health care provider in Bangor, Maine. Join us as we explore topics that impact our sexual and reproductive health and lives. Here's your host, Aspen Rulin. Aspen uses they, them pronouns and is our client and community advocate. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Reproductive Less. I'm your host, Aspen. My pronouns are they, them, and this isn't just any old episode. This is the Prepisode. Today, I'll be talking about PrEP, or pre-exposure prophylaxis, a medication to help prevent someone from contracting HIV, with Finn Wilder, who also uses they, them pronouns, one of our nurse practitioners at Mabel Wadsworth Center. Thanks for joining me, Finn. Thanks, Aspen. Thanks for having me. We're very excited to have you here to talk about PrEP. So first things first, let's talk PrEP myths and facts.
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot of myths out there about PrEP. And the first one that I wanted to start with is that people tend to think PrEP is only for gay men right? That's like what people think about when they think about PrEP. But PrEP is for lots of folks. There are a ton of different reasons to go on PrEP. All of them are totally okay. People from all walks of life take PrEP, whether you use condoms, have multiple partners, or your loved one has HIV. PrEP is used by a ton of different people. And the one thing that they all share in common is just a desire to reduce their risk of acquiring HIV, right? Mm. So I thought I'd just put in some examples of folks that PrEP would be right for.
0: Yeah, perfect.
1: So PrEP could be right for you if you are HIV negative and you've had anal or vaginal sex in the past six months and you have a sexual partner with HIV or you've not consistently used a condom or you've been diagnosed with an STD in the past six months. Also, if you inject drugs and you have an injection partner with HIV or share needles, syringes or other equipment to inject drugs, you've been prescribed PEP, which is post-exposure prophylaxis, and you report continued potential exposure behaviors or you've used multiple courses of PEP. And also, if you have a partner with HIV and you're considering getting pregnant, PrEP might be an option to help protect you and your baby from getting HIV while you try to get pregnant during pregnancy or if you're breastfeeding. Those are those are some categories.
0: Yeah, I think it's important to bring up that PrEP can be beneficial for so many different people. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. Like Yeah, you know, um, gay men are like one population of people who can benefit from it. But, you know, it's the human immunodeficiency virus, the like qualification for if you're at risk for it, like the primary qualification is being a human. Um, Correct. That sometimes people feel that they're really distanced from that risk uh, just because there's still... Still, not a lot of really good sex education info out there about HIV, um, which of course leads to not a lot of good uh, information about PrEP. Uh, What are some of your other like myths and facts you really want to get into?
1: Yeah. So the next one is the idea that PrEP is something you could start taking after you've been exposed to HIV. Mm. And so, right, PrEP is for prevention. You want to take PrEP before you have a potential exposure. Taking PrEP before after an exposure doesn't really guarantee that you're not going to become infected with HIV. Mm-hmm. If that were the case, that's when you would look for PEP post-exposure prophylaxis. It's similar to PrEP, but is a slightly different medication. And it's something that you take for 28 days. You have to start it within 72 hours of whatever event exposed you to the hiv um virus so if you do think you've been exposed asap contact your local public health office go to urgent care come see us at mabel's any family planning clinic um, and try and get a round of pep going
0: Mm. The way that I, um, so for folks who don't know, uh, in my background, I actually used to be an HIV tester and counselor, and I would help people with uh, information around PrEP and PEP and navigation for accessing that. And a good analogy, even though they obviously don't function in the same way, is that PrEP is sort of like... Uh, contraception or like birth control in that it's a thing you use more regularly that is a like a pre thing it's a preventative Uh, whereas PEP is kind of like emergency contraception you use it after the exposure risk it's actually interesting because they both have that 72 hour that you really want to get started on beforehand obviously there are a lot of differences including that PEP is 28 days and emergency contraception is like once, Um, but I think that that analogy can help people to understand. Now, I would love for you to talk, not necessarily. I guess it is a myth, but a little bit more about some of the common misunderstandings around PEP, and you know whether or not folks really need it, or if it's quote unquote worth it. Hmm.
1: Yeah. So in my mind, any form of preventative medicine that we can do around HIV is worth it. Mm. I think sometimes it's difficult when providers don't have sort of the same ethos around potential risk behaviors or around who they think might be eligible. Um, I think anyone who has had what could be a potential exposure to HIV should be able to easily get PEP. And it is possible that daily PrEP, if you had been on it would be more effective mm. than taking pep after an exposure however taking pep after an exposure versus not taking it at all right you're immediately upping the odds and even though we can never say anything is hundred percent it's a fairly effective regimen as long as you take it for the full mm. 28 days
0: exactly i think the other thing that i have seen that comes up around pep use is not just the like providers who maybe aren't fully up to date on like who is at risk of contracting hiv what really is an hiv exposure risk but also that their knowledge of like what what pep is and the side effects of it aren't always up to date. You know, when PEP, again, PEP is the post-exposure prophylaxis. It's what you would take after a potential exposure to HIV. Um, you know, back when that first became a thing, because PEP is to very much oversimplify it, it is HIV treatment medications. Um, again, very oversimplification. Um, but if you're not someone prescribing it, that's enough info. Um, But, you know, when that first came out as a thing, as a tool to be able to use as PEP, they were essentially dosing it a lot higher than it actually needed to be. And so the side effects for it were pretty gnarly. Um, And so you would have a lot of really bad nausea, a lot of other just like not pleasant side effects. For 28 days. And so there was kind of this like, oh, really only use this if someone was like, definitely they know they were exposed, like really high risk. And otherwise, it's just not worth it. But that's not what PEP is like anymore. They realized, oh, we're we're dosing this way too high. And they dialed it back in so that people don't have super extreme side effects. And I think it's also good to point out that like, yes, we want to do what we can to, you know, avoid contracting HIV, uh, because it's not the ideal. But also, of course, that people with HIV live like happy, healthy, productive lives, all that jazz. Uh, But again, still, you know, still want to avoid contracting things.
1: Right. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. What are some other, um, do you have other myths you want to dive into?
1: Oh, so many, Aspen, so many. Um, So this next one is there's a myth associated. And of course, as you've probably noticed, then I need to put in all of my little information tidbits that I think are important for folks to know. So the next myth is that you don't need to take prep every day. So there's a good reason this is a common myth. It's kind of complicated. Mm. There are different options. So really, in my world, some prep is better than no prep. Yeah. But it's helpful to know what form will be most effective.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. So prep can be a daily prescription. So something, you know, like a pill that you take once a day, every day. There's a newly approved injectable prep. And then there's something called on-demand dosing. Mm -hmm. So I thought I'd go a little bit into what each of those are so that folks have kind of an idea. Yeah. Um, So event-based prep, which is also known as on-demand or intermittent prep, um, there's, to back up just a little bit, the folks that the FDA approves these things for, sometimes the language sounds very narrow because the approval can only be stated in the way that it was done in the studies that allowed them to approve the medication. So for example, on-demand PrEP is approved for men having anal sex with other men without a condom who are not at an ongoing risk of HIV. Now we know that like the word men is pretty problematic in this sense, right? Because lots of genders have lots of different kinds of sex. And also, you know, so it's a pretty difficult definition to, to sort of break down in some ways, but that's kind of what we have to go on. Um, you take it on this, what's called a 2 schedule. So 2 to 24 hours before sex that you think might expose you to HIV, you take two pills and then 24 hours later you take a pill and 24 hours later you take a pill Mm -hmm. and there's scientific evidence that this is really good prevention for this population when taken in this way. Mm -hmm. Um, Unfortunately, it's not approved for Any cis men not having anal sex with other men, cis women, people who inject drugs or trans folks, because Mm -hmm. there haven't been any studies done on those populations. Right. Which means we're not allowed to approve it for them. Yeah. So the next form, and this is the one that people I think are most familiar with, is daily prep. Um, The two approved... PrEP meds in the U.S. currently are Tuvada and Descovy. You may have heard those names floating around. Um, Tuvada, they're approved for slightly different populations. Tuvada is approved for all people at risk through any kind of sex or injection drug use. And Descovy is for people at high risk through sex except for those assigned female at birth. Mm -hmm. So again, It probably is equally as effective, but we just can't say it because they haven't done the studies. Right. Um, So the big one... About these is that to be effective, it does need to be taken every day, because if it's taken inconsistently, then there may not be enough of the medication in your bloodstream, essentially, to uh, block the virus. So the idea of a daily medication is that you're keeping a consistent level of these medications. And so if there's not enough, then it may not be effective.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um. And then an exciting update is that an injectable form of prep was just approved this past. Wasn't it like
0: mid December?
1: Yeah. Yeah, it was like December twentieth. I remember getting the email, and I like called three different people, and I was like, "Oh my god, you guys, it's approved! This is amazing!" That's so exciting. Um, oh. yeah, it's so exciting. So, um, it's a shot that's administered every two months
0: mm-hmm. for
1: all adults and adolescents. Weighing at least 35 kilograms, which no, I did not bother to convert into pounds.
0: I'll convert it.
1: Reduce the risk of sexually acquired HIV approved for people of all genders with no limitations based on the type of sex that they have, which is so fabulous because we're finally starting to realize and do more studies on the you know all kinds of genders having all kinds of different genital interacting sex right which is awesome
0: that is so exciting also you said 35 kilograms that is correct uh so that is 77.162 pounds
1: all right so any adult or adolescent over 77.126 pounds is Potentially eligible.
0: This is really yeah. relevant. Great. I mean, that just makes me think of the um, birth control injection option and how like, you know, for some folks doing an injection every couple or every few months is more accessible and something they can do with more regularity than taking a pill daily. And, you know, that's why it's so important to have these different options so people can go with what works best for them.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, on the, you know, the birth control sort of parallel I have lots of patients who are like yeah I mean I really want to be contracepted, but I know that it's highly likely I'll miss some pills here and there or you know for whatever reason I won't be able to take them consistently my schedule's weird I just don't remember that kind of thing whatever it is And then they have these other options to be able to come in and do something like that and so right you know there's never any judgment if somebody is like oh i kind of have a hard time taking a pill every day like i think that's fine so now we can give you a shot instead and you only have to like get an appointment reminder every two months and come into the office which if you're on prep, you have to be in every three months for HIV testing. So you just sort of like line it up and then, you know, you're set to go.
0: Yeah, that's I'm so excited about. I was I didn't get uh, an email about the injection prep, but I am in a few like prep na- navigation facebook groups and so they were all blowing up because everyone was super excited about that for very obvious reasons uh what else you got for myths and facts for us
1: all right let's see well because you mentioned side effects earlier there are still a lot of myths out there about not being able to tolerate prep because of the side effects Mm mm-hmm So really, there are some mild side effects that can happen with PrEP, but they're usually very temporary. It's like your body needs to get used to this new equilibrium and then things tend to settle out. Um, People sometimes, you know, will have some headaches, a little bit of nausea, some GI stuff, which is not unique to PrEP. Tons of new medications that you start anyone on. Again, it's your body kind of getting used to it. You know, the majority of patients who go on PrEP have very few side effects, don't really have many issues with it. Um, And again, I do think some of this comes from the previous dosing, right? Mm -hmm. As you were kind of talking about that, like, oh, my God, this is going to make you feel terrible. And also just, you know, a lot of fear, too, right?
0: Yes. Yep. Yep i was going to touch on that that i think the the fear but also the stigma both just the stigma around sex and the stigma around hiv specifically that, you know, our culture is just very shaming about people who are having sex. Our culture is very shaming about, you know, folks who are in the Q plus community. Again, obviously not everyone who uh, uses PrEP is, you know, part of the queer community, but there are a lot who are. And a lot of the, a lot of the fear and stigma that can come up around PrEP, can come really from that. Um, and again, you know, specifically some of that anxiety and stigma around HIV specifically.
1: Oh, absolutely. I think there's um, a ton of stigma around PrEP and tied to the stigma around hiv tied to the stigma around stis in general tied to the Mm -hmm. stigma around queer folks around sex you know it it all gets really sort of bundled up in there it's you know people use this argument for so many things but it's like oh well if you put someone on prep they're just going to have all kinds of irresponsible crazy sex and i mean if that's what you want to do that's great And it's the same argument that people use for, like, if you have, you know, supervised injection sites, then people are going to just OD over the all over the place. Or, you know, if you this and that and the other, if you give someone the Gardasil HPV vaccine, they'll just have sex when they're 14. They they use this argument. Right. We we all know it. And so, you know, I think that's part of it. And just that, yeah, we have so much stigma around all of these things, and so little education mm. that then you know and and to come in and ask for prep is having to talk about behaviors that our society shames, mm. right? So you're like kind of damned before you even get in the door, right, and that's where you know, I think supportive providers can be such a boon and are so important because if somebody walks in and is like okay I want to talk about PrEP and the provider shames Mm
0: -hmm. you know then
1: then we have a whole other layer there um And I know it's really frustrating for folks who go in and try to see somebody about something like PrEP and end up having to either educate their own providers or they get shamed by their providers or asked really invasive, unnecessary questions. And to be fair, when you're starting someone on something like PrEP, you do have to ask some pretty personal questions. Yeah. It's not. I'm not doing it, you know, just for kicks. It's just that I need to know how to best take care of you. So, yeah, I am going to ask some questions and we're going to have to talk, but I'm not going to pry into things that have nothing to do with what we're doing. You know, I, I always try to say, like, is it necessary? Is it going to affect your treatment plan? Mm, is yep. it going to affect your diagnosis? If the answer to any of those is no, then stay the heck away from it.
0: Right. right think also I mean you have like really strongly implied it and touched on it a little but also the importance of as a provider approaching that without judgment um you know again obviously this is like in a slightly different context but related you know when I did HIV testing I would have to ask a lot of questions I specifically had a really fun CDC form of like CDC questions I had to ask and you know I was surprised at how easily people would open up and answer those questions, especially like with how my training went, like they were like, oh, people are going to be really resistant to it. And then I realized like, oh, people have a way easier time talking about their like sex lives if you're not rude to them about it, like if you're not judgmental. And I think it's really important to like drive home the point that if the provider you're working with is making you feel like ashamed for trying to do something for your well being, for like trying to get on prep, like they might not be a good fit for you. And like that's okay. And it's not your failure for a provider to not be meeting your needs.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I have. A- a number of patients who transfer over to me to discuss things like this. I mean, any number of things related to sexual and reproductive health and trans health, Mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera, who have had providers who've done that and are looking for a better fit. And, you know, I think to the providers out there, like we're here to support and to encourage and to lift up our patients so that they can function to the best of their capabilities in the world. Right. And it's not about us. It's not about what we think or our opinions. I mean, to be fair, I think some of my opinions are pretty great. Like the fact that anyone should be able to get prep.
0: Right. Opinion,
1: you know. Um, but the most important thing is just listening to patients and and to the patients, if your provider really isn't listening and hearing you, then yeah, it might not be a good fit. And it's hard when you experience a provider doing that to think that, oh, well, maybe all providers are that way and that's not necessarily the case. so there were a couple other things I did want to touch on briefly.
0: Yeah, let's go for it.
1: Um, and one of them, as we're talking about access and healthcare workers who need to listen. Mm-hmm. Um, if you do think PrEP may be right for you, you do need to make an appointment with somebody. Yes. Um, because it is prescription only. And... So a lot of people think that it is really hard to get on PrEP. Mm -hmm. And the reality is, generally, as long as you have a provider who's knowledgeable and is there to work with you, it's not terribly difficult. Right. You need an HIV test within 10 days of starting your PrEP, a negative HIV test. You need it a couple other blood tests to check things like your kidney function. And then you get written a prescription and you take your medication just like anyone else. Yeah. And then you come in and check in with me every few months. And if you have a healthcare provider that isn't going to write you a prescription or you don't have a healthcare provider, if you're in Our area, come talk to us at Mabel's, or you can look into organizations like Please Prep Me, which has a provider directory for the entire country of places that they have confirmed they know prescribe prep. And you know, and lots of other places here in Maine are on there Maine Family Planning, Planned Parenthood. I haven't scrolled through the whole thing, but if your provider doesn't know about PrEP or isn't willing to prescribe your PrEP, or like I said, if you don't have a provider, there are definite ways to get hooked up with providers who are really PrEP knowledgeable.
0: Mm. And that that testing is really important, um, which I mean, like you said, you know, you have to do it to get the prescription, but it's important for your health because, you know, like you said, you have to have that negative... HIV test and if it turns out you have a positive one then that is what would get you on the path towards HIV treatment
1: yeah it's a lot of screening and prevention and also screening and catching things that are treatable Mm. um another great advantage of that sort of ongoing screening is that we often do a screening for other STIs as well at the same time. And the, the myth there is that if you're on PrEP, you don't need to use any kind of protection because it just protects you from all of the things. And unfortunately, we don't have that yet. PrEP is only protection for HIV. It doesn't protect you against any of the other STIs, you know, chlamydia, gonorrhea, syphilis, trichomonas, anything like that. Whether you want to use a condom or not, or any kind of protection or not is a totally personal choice. Yes. And if you want protection against these other things, it's best to use condoms along with PrEP. Right. But and- we're going to be testing you every three months And all of those things are treatable. And so if you're in situations where you're getting potentially exposed to these different organisms, Hmm. then you come in and we treat you and, you know, you kind of go on your merry way.
0: Yeah. And that reminds me of another myth. So PrEP has actually been around it for a decade now, it got FDA approved in 2012. um, And particularly early on in PrEP being a thing, but even in more recent years, you know, I've seen articles about how like, oh, we shouldn't, like you mentioned, you know, we shouldn't have PrEP because it's just going to encourage people to be promiscuous and unsafe and it's like no it's a safety tool calm down uh but you know people arguing that like oh well we're gonna see rates of you know these other STDs other STIs like chlamydia and gonorrhea and syphilis that they're gonna skyrocket and what we have seen Among folks who use PrEP, is not that the contracting of them has, at least the last time I looked at the data, is not that actually contracting them has increased, but diagnosing and treating them has. Because if you have chlamydia, but you don't get tested and then you don't get treated, you still have chlamydia, but it doesn't get logged in the data. And then also because you're not getting treatment, you're potentially exposing other people versus if you have mandatory testing every three months, um, your chlamydia is going to get caught way quicker. You're going to get on your quick little regimen of antibiotics and wham, bam, you're all set.
1: Yeah, totally. And, you know, I think, That brings up that the most common symptom of an STI is no symptoms. Mm -hmm. So many people. Oh, yeah, right. Exactly. So, you know, a lot of folks don't necessarily think to get screened if they're not having symptoms. And so when you are getting this screening automatically, right, you don't have to worry about it. So, yeah, I think that's really important. And absolutely, you know, it's, we see this happen when you increase screening, you increase diagnosis, and then it looks like the rates are going up, but the rates have always been there. It's just that a lot of people walk around with STIs that they don't know about. Exactly. Exactly.
0: Yeah, it's... It's good that more of this info is getting out, but it does get frustrating sometimes just how much stigma really does negatively impact people's access to like really great healthcare, like PrEP, um, and also to things just as simple as STI testing and treatment.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think. The other thing that I wanted to mention, too, um, around access mm. is that there's a lot of misunderstandings out there about how expensive prep is, mm. and that's another thing. It's a barrier, right, because the amount of disposable income in any given household is very different. Right, right. And so if there's a myth flying around that PrEP costs all kinds of money, then why would you even bother going to ask about it? Right. So it is true that out of pocket, it can be expensive, Mm -hmm. but most insurance plans cover it. State Medicaid programs cover it, like main care. And if you don't have either of those, there are also PrEP assistance programs yeah that can help you get prep for either very
0: cheap or free yeah so
1: we need i think to make sure that folks know that cost does not need to be a barrier to getting prep
0: Yes. And I do know that definitely on the state level, I believe on the federal as well, but don't quote me on this. I say into the podcast microphone, um, but that there are laws now around insurance companies being required to cover PrEP and to cover the associated like lab work that has to be done Um And like Finn said, you know, that there are these like prep assistance programs for folks who are uninsured or if their insurance is being difficult or deductibles or all that jazz. And on top of that, the pharmaceutical companies um, all have their own like patient payment assistance programs Uh, back, like I mentioned, when I did prep navigation stuff. I actually only had one person that I had worked with who was interested in prep, who wasn't able to get it through their insurance. And I was like, this is the website for doing the like assistance through the pharmaceutical company. Like, let me know how that goes. If you need help, reach out. And this person emailed me back two hours later to say that they were already all set up. Wow. Like That's the, they amazing. A pharmaceutical company. They were approved. Um, now, why the pharmaceutical companies charge so much for it is a topic for another day that I have strong opinions about that I will be putting uh, resources to in as a link in the description for the podcast, but that could be its own whole episode. So we won't get into it today. But the long and short of it is that between insurance, between uh, payment assistance programs, both separate from the pharmaceutical companies and within the pharmaceutical companies, PrEP can be accessed in an affordable way in ways that are a lot easier than people expect them to be. Yeah.
1: I think that's the lowdown of it. Yeah.
0: Great. Well, um, did you have any last thoughts on PrEP that you wanted to share before we wrap up?
1: Um. I think we covered most of it. I think the, you know, the big takeaways are just don't be scared of it Mm. and that there's a huge range of folks that it's appropriate for and that if your PCP isn't willing or knowledgeable, come talk to one of us.
0: For sure. Well, thank you so much for joining me today for the PrEP episode and talking about PrEP. Um, It is one of my favorite things to talk about, both just because it's such a cool medication and the pun possibilities. Um, And thank you, everyone, for joining us for Reproductive Left. And we will talk to you the next time.
1: Thanks for having me, Aspen.
0: Thank you.